Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, your care for us. We thank you that uh, we, we just, we recognize what we've sang, that Lord, there's no other God before you. But Lord, when we cling to anything else but you, Lord, we, we come up empty. Lord, you are truly the only one that we can turn to, not only in our time of trouble, but even in the good. But you are the source of life. And so, Father, we turn toward you this morning and we turn toward your word and we pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, we believe that your word is with complete authority. We believe that you have given us everything we need. So help us to wrap our lives around your truth today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we give this time to you. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you would, this morning, turn with me to Mark um, 6, um, 7 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you, and it'll be on the screen. We're in a series in, um, called Disciple in the book of Mark. Um, well, basically, this series will be um, over the, the uh, Mark chapter 6 altogether. Last week, um, we spoke and we talked about Jesus. He was actually, last week, was supposed to have five points. It had two points, and so you're going to get the other three this Sunday. So this is part two of what we did last week. And so um, what, what's going to happen with Jesus as he teaches, and maybe a little context here, is the Gospels are really there. They give us a snapshot, and really just a snapshot into the life of Jesus. The point of the, of the Gospels is, is to proclaim the Savior came. The one who we have longed for, the one we've waited for, he came, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he is seated on high, he has defeated death, he has come. The Gospels, this is the point of the Gospels. But we get these snapshots into the person of Jesus, of how he went about life, and in, in reality, we get not that many snapshots into his life. We get three years, and even in those three years, we get little pieces of those three years. And all the Gospels together, we get a little bit of a bigger picture, but even in that, there's so much that we miss. And, and in the Gospel of Mark, these eyewitness accounts, what, we, what we're getting is really what the writer believes is best for us to understand about Jesus. And one of the main themes of the book of Mark is what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, the cost that it's going to take in our lives to follow him. So this is kind of the theme. And what Jesus is going to do as he, as he does ministry, as he lives life, is he's going to ask these 12 men to follow him, and they're going to follow him. And as they follow him, we're going to see this pattern. It's a simple pattern. I think we even do it in our own lives. Is This simple pattern is he's going to do something. They're going to do some things together, and then he's going to send them to do some things on their own. So it's a basic apprenticeship program, right? Watch me do this. Now let's do this together. Now I'm going to send you out to do this on your own. It's an I do, we do, you do kind of approach. It's a way that he is empowering them to take something on on their own. So maybe to start out, just so you know, the Christian life is not meant to be this sort of nice fancy car that you park in the garage and you polish up and you talk to your friends about this car and you do all these. That's, that's not the idea of this. Jesus wasn't telling disciples you need to have this clean, pristine life. That's, 
although he wants us to be holy and righteous, that's really not the idea. He, he wants to come and invade us, and this car called our Christian faith is meant for the road. It's meant to act upon. It's meant to drive. It's meant, and sometimes it's going to get a ding in the bumper, and it's going to get all kinds of things that happen. Nobody's going to have a perfect, pristine kind of car that we drive called the faith. And in this, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to model to them how to drive the car. He's going to drive the car with them, and he's going to say, now go out and do it on your own. And what we'll see in the text last week, we saw that there was a persistence of Jesus. He goes back to his hometown. He's done this before. The first time he went to his hometown, what did they try to do? Throw him off a cliff, right? A bit dangerous, right? Um, Jesus decides... Uh, and then, and then later, what his family's going to do is they're going to come and try to find him and say, hey, Jesus, we think you're insane, and you need to come back home. They say that he was a madman. They said, you need to come back home. We're going to lock you in your room so you can stop doing this craziness. And then now, Jesus, last week we saw he goes to, back to his hometown, begins to proclaim this gospel, and at this they fully reject him again. So we saw a persistence in Jesus in amongst unbelief and a persistence that people would know him and love him. And then we also saw that Jesus was astonished by one thing about them. He wasn't astonished at their opposition. He wasn't astonished at, at how angry they were, the language they used. This is what astonished Jesus. What astonished them is their unbelief. He said, I can't believe you don't believe in this message it is true, and he was offering them life, and this is what he was astonished by. And now what's going to happen this week as we read this text is Jesus is now going to send them out amongst unbelief, and they're going to take what they learned with him in unbelief, and they're going to apply that in a setting when they are out on their own, it says in the text, two by two. And so right before we read, I want to remind us of something this morning. I want to remind us of the big picture of what we're dealing with in this text, and the big picture is this, is that in the beginning of time, God created Adam and Eve, humanity, to live out his ways in this world. But humanity rebelled against God. Adam and Eve said, God, we don't think what you have for us is sufficient, and we think there's something else out there that is going to bring us fulfillment and pleasure in a way that you cannot. They ate from the tree and sin entered and corrupted this world. Not only did it taint humanity's heart and opened, opened, opened us up to rebellion, all of the seed of Adam, all of us, we are, we are rebellious in our hearts just as Adam and Eve were. You've heard me say it before again. They said, thanks for making me God. No thanks for telling me how to live, their, live my life. And we live our lives independent from the reign and rule of God. But not only was humanity broken, but the world was broken. It says that thorns and thistles entered into the world, that there was a little brokenness of the earth, earthquakes and destruction and horrors of just the things that we see even this week, right? Hundreds dead of earthquakes. And we see a brokenness not only in, our, in the rebellion of humanity's hearts, but we just see a brokenness in this world. We see a brokenness not only in the, the foundations of the world, we see a brokenness in, in cancer, we see a brokenness in, in illness and death and destruction all around us in life. And if you haven't been touched by it, right, you're not living or your eyes aren't open. It's everywhere all around us. No, none of us in this room can escape the pains of sin and the brokenness of this world. If you're in peace right now, just wait because I said it last week, nobody gets out of this thing alive. A hundred out of a hundred people die. Pretty sure on that one. 
And so there's this problem. And all through the Old Testament, there was a prophecy that one is going to come. One is going to come. One is going to come to take away the pain, take away the sorrow, take away the brokenness, your healer, your deliverer. The the one is coming to redeem. And it even comes so specific in prophecy that from Bethlehem, from the seed, all of the specifics of who he would be. And he came. Jesus, born of a virgin, he walked on this planet he went around among us. He, he was tempted and tried, just as you and I were, that he might identify with us. In Hebrews, it says this. And then Jesus, in his life, his, his life became focused on one thing, and that was to go to a cross and to die for our sins, that we might be made right with God again. And Jesus did this. He was arrested in the garden, and he was brutally beaten for you and me. He was beaten for our sins. He bore the shame and bore the pain that we deserved. He took our penalty on his shoulders for us. And not only did he take the beatings and the pain, he was nailed to a cross and he hung on that cross and he died the death that you and I deserved. And the father turned his face from him. And Jesus not only experienced death, but he experienced an aloneness that I will never experience again in my life because he bore that for me. I will never in my life, now that I'm in Christ, never experience an aloneness from the Father. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, Jesus defeated death and he rose from the grave. And in defeating the grave, he, ascend, he taught for 40 days on earth about the kingdom of God. And then he ascended to high, on high and he sat down at the right hand of God. And he filled the believers, those 12 that we're going to read about today, he fills them with the power of his Holy Spirit. And they go out and a movement begins that is still going on today. And that is the movement of the church. And this movement is happening. And one day, Jesus is going to return again. And he's going to make all things right. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more earthquakes, no more orphans, no more cancer, no more pain and suffering in this world. He will make all things right. But until then, we, the church, are a part of a great movement in this world of proclaiming his gospel, of extending his grace, and being his hands and feet, moved by him where he would have us to go and where he would have us to be and what he would have us to do. Now, I say this because it's really important. And it's really important because if you believe the church is a place and not a movement, this this sermon will not matter much to you. If you believe that the Christian life is something that's all about what you know up here and not what you do here with your life, you will miss it. The Christian life is much more than what I, the information in which I have downloaded. The Christian life is much more than the positions that I take on certain things. <coughs> the Christian life is about me recognizing that I have been redeemed, that I had deserved death and judgment, but Jesus Christ died for me on the cross, and now being motivated in my life to extend my life for him and his purposes to any length possible, that I am participating in one of the greatest movements, in the greatest movement time in history has ever known. So if you will, Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, just snapshot here. This is like a 
This isn't, this isn't going to be the rest of their ministry. This isn't going to be the rest of their time with Jesus. This is a little snapshot, a little moment that was as much about what about them growing as it, as it was about what they would be doing. So he, he sends them out. And so it says again, And he called out the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals. And not to put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So in this passage, what we see first is the provision for the mission. First thing that we see is the provision for the mission. Jesus says he called out the 12, and so he charged them to a task. And so he spoke to the 12 and says, okay, you're going to go and do. Now he's going to explain to them. He's going to send them out two by two. Just a side note, this is, there's a, we see in Scripture the necessity of a team. Paul, God never sends people out alone. And so if, if you're in this room and you think you can do this mission thing on your own, you cannot God is always going to send us out two by two. So those of you who know your Bible, it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, right? I mean, God is always sending people out together. When we leave here today, we are going out together. I pray it at the end of every service. I don't know if you've noticed it. God, would you link us arm in arm together for your purposes today? This is something that we are doing together as a body. Obviously, all of us in this room can't, but groups and pockets of us, God will unite together to send us out for his great purposes. And if you want to get connected greater ways with people, I'd, that's Brandon Marshall. Brandon at, just kidding. Uh, let's give out any people's own. But Brandon actually could help you. And all the staff, all of us can. Or there's people sitting next to you that could help you do that. God wants us to do this together. And it says that he gave them authority. So he sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority, jurisdiction. They had power. They had the ability to do certain things. Just so you know, we do too. We have an authority that is ours in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more. So he says, take nothing except a staff, clothes, and sandals. Don't take money. Don't take your bag. You're going out alone. You're going out in faith. And I'm going to show you how I can come through. God has given them and he has given us everything we need to do everything he's asked of us. I believe that as a church. I believe at the chapel in North Canton, God has given us everything we need to do everything he's called us to do. There is nothing outside of the grips of what we need to accomplish what he's given. So last week, you may have seen it in the bulletin that we are actually, we're, I think, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, we're like 60,000 behind budget. And you go, it's really bad. Well, when we set a budget, it's kind of like this hopeful thing that we think we're forecasting what we'll need to spend. Just so you know, we're way under budget and sp we're, we're way under the actual gifts that have been given. We're like $60,000 under what's been given because I believe God's given us everything we need to do everything he's asked us to do this year. And I believe in my four years, just so you know, this is four years for Ryan Johnson of the North Canton Chapel today. Um, four years of North Canton Chapel. Well, you don't need to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> I believe this year we have seen God do extraordinary things. And this isn't to compare one year to the next. I'm just saying this year, I believe God has done extraordinary things at this in this body and through this body. 
There's been lives transformed. We're planting a church in a month. I was up there yesterday at a wedding. We have, we, we have, I just don't know if you know this, you bought like, like 400 chairs that are sitting in a sanctuary in Akron right now that people are going to come. They're going to worship the Savior. They're going to come to know him in. Like this is stuff that you've done. God's given us provision for the mission. There's so much that is happening, and God has given us everything we need. But, but there's this thing that we have to be careful of, and this is the number one thing that if, if I had one last message to say to this, this body, this is what it would be. Check your motive, check your motive, check your motive. Why do we do what we do? It is the most important question that we'll ask ourselves every day, every day, every day, every day. Is, is, is our motive for what we do, is it ourselves or is it Jesus? Is, is the motive for what we do our Savior or is the motive for what I do myself? See, there's, this, is, this is really important because the love of self or a love of Christ if I get this wrong, I won't honor him at all. So you've probably heard me illustrate it. If I'm preaching today for your accolades, I don't think that will bring any glory to God because I'm doing it for my own glory. But if I'm preaching today because I love Jesus and I want people to grow in their love for him and I want to be faithful to what he has called me to do and what he's asked of me, right, there's something honorable and noble about that. Well, that's no different than loving your neighbor it's no different than loving your children, loving your wife, living our lives. The simple things, not just the big things of the Christian life, they matter in motive. And see, I, I believe self-regarded, um, so the self-regarded you know, person who attends, attends the, the things of the Christian life and the self-regarded person that does the activities of Christianity and really the, the motive is themselves, what you typically find is it's a very static life. It it loves to study and it loves to attend. It loves safety and it loves to be undisturbed. Doesn't like shift and change. Complains about how it's not getting what it wants. And just so you know that this, this thing, this movement called the church isn't about what you or I want. This is about a savior being known and loved and cherished in our world. And that first starts with our own hearts, and then that moves into all the other places of our world. And so if you attend an ABF, the point of your ABF is to grow in the knowledge of God, that you may have a greater affection for him, and that you might live that out in the normal and everyday places of your life. This is the point. And that looks like in every space, in every relationship that you have, if you're an MC, the point of it is, is the same, that you do that, and you live that out, and you, you live that mission out together the, 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 the self-regarded Christian, the, the self-regarded person that attends, I'm telling you, it is an empty place to live and we'll never get to the right places with it. But Jesus, the self-denying Christianity, it's different, it's opposite. Jesus will say it like this, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. See, self-denying Christianity, this is dynamic. It longs for something more. It desires people to know their Savior. It takes risks. It feels pressures, bruises, and at times it might even break because it's pushing the boundaries so hard and denying self. There's the, the, the message of our world about that it is all about you is the opposite message of God. It is not all about you. It is not all about me. It is all about Jesus. 
in our lives, when they, become, when they become consumed about being about Jesus, we lay down our rights, we lay down our preferences, we move forward. And just so you know, some of you are in this room and you're like, I don't like the music always how it is. Just so you know, there's some songs, I'm going I'm to be honest, they're not my favorite, right? I don't know if you knew that about me. I don't like everything that we do here. No offense, Brian. But you know what? It isn't about me. And it ain't about you. And I believe that God has put people in this church and in places of leadership that I've let lead and do that, and we're going to let them do that. And if you're older, sometimes you're going to have preferences that you don't get met. Because I believe that I want a new generation to come up and be worshipers of Jesus, and my preference has to go down a little bit. Because just so you know, Josh McDowell wrote a book in the late, uh, early 2000s, said the last Christian generation in, the, in, in America. That's the title of the book. It says, if we don't change how we go about things, we're about to see the last Christian generation in America. And so you know, this pastor is aware of that, and we're going to fight with everything we have to see a generation grow up to be worshipers of Jesus that love and lead, and we give them a space and a place to be able to worship. And just so I remember, the songs that my parents always sang didn't resonate to the deepest places of my heart. We need to get out of the way and not make this about us because it's not. And to be honest, 10,080 minutes a week, I got 80 here. I'm not banking on the 80 here. And I'm not griping about the 80 here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push hard for the 10,000 out there because when I get that well done, thy good and faithful servant, I'm pretty sure it's going to be about those 10,000 more than it's going to be about these 80. There's a pastor on a soapbox. There we go. And so, and so for us... We have to become a people that are, it's a self-denying Christianity where, where it's not about me and my preferences. And I'm just talking about the preferences inside the walls of this church. It goes far, far greater than that. When I see my marriage, that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And how can I honor him most with my wife? That my, me as a parent, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Those of you that in your singleness, this is not about you and finding a spouse. This is about you. If God would allow it to link you up with someone that you can honor him with and run side by side with. This life and the career path or whatever it is, this is not about us. This is about him and his great purposes in this world. So those who live by faith, we will feel pressure. And I would say this, that you'll feel pressure when you begin to live by faith from those on the outside of the walls of the church and from those on the inside of the walls. I've talked to many of you who you've said that when we said this, our Christian brothers and sisters, they were the hardest on us. When Deb and I, when we went to be foster parents, we had more naysayers of the faith than we had naysayers outside the faith. The people outside the faith thought it was something noble. The people inside the faith thought we were crazy. But, you know, and so we'd say things like this. This is what I did when uh, Deb's like, I think God's calling us to do this. And I'm like, let's pray about it, right? Because when you say, what, let's pray about it, that's the way to not have to do it, right? You just, like, push it off. And so I was like, let's pray about it. And then Deb's like, let's look at God's word. She's really the spiritual one of the relationship. And she says, let's open God's word. And so we open God's word. And then we just read passages. And it was like, true religion is this, to take care of orphans. But you've become a whore, Isaiah 1. You neglect the orphan. You neglect the widow. Isaiah, Isaiah 58 says, Is this not the fasting I choose to loose the bonds of the oppressed, 
It goes on and on. And what happened when I read the word is I just got hemmed in. And it wasn't about me anymore because it couldn't be. It was about whether or not Ryan Johnston was going to be obedient to God. Many times we pray and we use all these Christian words around stuff that simply God is telling me to do. And I've got to make a choice whether this thing's going to be about me or it's going to be about him. And if it's going to be about him, just so you know, it's, it's not that safe. There's a lot more risk. There's a lot more challenge. And it's going to be a little bit harder. But in the end, we're storing up for ourselves eternal riches in heaven, not holding back on earth. And so he has given us everything for the mission. And when he is our motive, when he is the one who drives us, we can have faith to move forward together and encourage each other forward to take extraordinary risks for his name and his kingdom. And so second thing we see is the proclamation of the kingdom. The proclamation of the kingdom. So it continues in verse 10. And he says, And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now here as he sends them out, he says, so whatever as you stay, stay there until you depart from there. And we don't really know all the reasons why Jesus did this. I do believe this was a test. I believe this was a learning, a growing moment of what their life would look like when Jesus ascends to heaven and they begin to move and we see that movement of the church begin in the book of Acts. But in this, I, I believe one of the reasons that they stayed in the house was that they didn't leave too early, that they, didn't, that, that they had to kind of go through the pressure of being in one place. And so when they went somewhere, they stayed in one place. And when they stayed in the one place, and we'll see in a minute, they, they proclaimed repentance and they, they did all kinds of miraculous works while they were there. But he said, if they will not receive, right, if they, if they will not receive this message... What is he to do? Shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And so we hear that text, and what we hear it is this. Forget about them. I'm done, right? I wash my hands of you. I shake the dust off my feet toward you. I'm done with you. That's really not what's going on in this text. What's, what's really happening is it's a warning, and it's a sign of judgment. Shaking off the dust of your feet. And so when they would go into the Holy Land, one of the things that they would do is they would shake the dust off their feet from all the pagan lands, and then they would walk into the Holy Land. So they would purify their feet like as a, as a symbol that we're moving into a holy place. And so in this text, in the context, what he's saying is really this was a, a last act. It was a last-ditch moment to plead the gospel to the people they were working with. And so in a town, in a place, they would shake the dust off their sandals, and they would have known that this was a, a warning, that, that you are a pagan land, and you need a redeemer, and judgment is coming your way if you don't turn to a savior. It was actually an act of grace. It wasn't an act of forget about you. It was a moment of saying, please, please turn to the savior. 2004, a guy came up to me. His name was Barry Lane. And Barry said, Ryan, <clears throat> um, you should go with me to the Amazon. Um, I'm going on a mission trip. Me and you, let's go. Barry was like 65. He was a retired Memphis police officer, a retired military. Barry was like, like, I really believe, Barry's still doing this, but I really believe that at some level, Barry wants to die for Jesus. Like, really believe that. Um, 
And so I said, well, Barry, tell me about what we're going to do. And he says, well, we're going to go. We're going to land in Manaus, Brazil. We're going to go up the Amazon about 10 hours on a boat. Then we're going to tug these two boats behind us. You're going to have an interpreter, and I'm going to have an interpreter. We're going to go down these little legs of the river to all these houses, and you're just going to pull up on the shore, and we're just going to share the gospel with all the people that we can. Are you in? And I'm like, absolutely, I'm in. This sounds amazing, right? I had a bit of an adventure. I don't know if Debbie was all about that at that time. She was about to. And so, so in this, I, when I was getting ready to leave, you know, it would be noble if I thought I was going to die as a martyr for Christ. But I, I literally thought I was going to die by like an anaconda, by like a, <laughs> like a piranha chewing off my leg or something. Um, tons of crazy stories about that trip. But I went with Barry. And we went, and we went up the river, and <clears throat> we got in boats, and we went out to um, share the gospel with people. And crazy things happened. I mean, I had, like, a boar, like, run at me like a wild hog. And then, like, I'm scared to death. And these little kids are, like, laughing. And then they went and slapped it. And I'm like, this is scary, right? <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Um, lots of things. I, I, I told them I wanted to t- tell people about Jesus and, and pet a monkey. And they, whenever you say things, this was my first mission trip, if you ask people to do things, they like honor you and they do it. Scariest moment of my life when the monkey jumped on my shoulder. Legitimately, I thought I was going to die. I was going to have like Ebola that had just come out, <laughs> that movie. It was all, I was, outbreak was about to happen. And so, so we go on this trip and, <clears throat> and we're going around and I pulled up to a guy's house, and I began to share the gospel with him, and he was, a, he was very elderly, and I began to share the gospel with him, and, and one of the things up in where we were, I mean, this is, people didn't, people didn't know, people didn't know Jesus, there was no gospel witness there, this was very unreached, it still is one of the most unreached, unengaged pockets of the world as far as tribal groups, and we were on the edge of all of that. I remember going to this guy and talking to him, and and I, I shared the gospel, said that you need, to tr- you need to turn from your sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. He came. He died for you. You can be saved through him. Will you repent of your sins and turn in faith? And he says, I've heard this message before. Some of my neighbors have done this, but, but what they say, you know, about this, this message that you're saying, that they're some of the most unkind and love and loving people that I know. And I don't, I, I think what you're saying is true but I don't want to accept this message because I don't want to be like them. And this thing began to stir in me of thinking, this man is at the edge and doorstep of death. And I don't know who else is going to be up this river to share with him again. And I began to share with him again. And I shared, please, don't let that define you. Turn to faith in Jesus Christ. It's still hard for me to talk about this guy today. It was a very stark moment in my life. And for about an hour, I I was pleading with that man to turn to faith in Jesus because I knew the reality of that man's life. If he died, he would go to hell and be separated from God forever. And it broke my heart. And when we, we read this text, shake off the dust of your feet, it's a better way to see it, is it breaks the heart to see people not respond to Jesus, and to plead with him over and over again that he would come. You know, early in my ministry, I used to pray, God, help my, help my passion and help my tears never dry up. I can tell you about, fast forward about five years, I remember sitting in my office saying, God, where did my tears go? Does anybody struggle with their heart becoming hard in life? 
You know, I know that happened to me, and I prayed, God, would you soften my heart again and burden my heart that people would know you and love you and serve you, that I would be broken that people don't. And praise God, he is in the business of softening hearts, and he did mine. And I probably won't be the last time in my life. For us, may we never let up. May we always pursue a soft heart to those that don't know. And might we be faithful to proclaim with our mouth the, the Savior in which we love the one in which the one who died for us. It says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We see a first example of this New Testament movement of the beautiful feet that were bringing good news in this text. And we are a continued part of those beautiful feet that are continuing to bring good news into this world until our Savior returns. And just so we're clear, church, this is the primary task of the church is to be be proclaimers, to be messengers, to be sent ones with good news into the everyday places of life. So in this, we see, again, first, the provision. He's given us everything we need, the proclamation of the kingdom, the message that we've been given. And then third, we see the power for the mission. They went out and they proclaimed repentance. They, so they, they went out, they proclaimed repentance. And in this, so repentance means to turn from and turn toward. And so repentance, they proclaimed, you need to turn away from your flesh and yourself. You need to repent of your sins and turn now in faith to God and begin to pursue after him with your life. So, and just so you know, repentance isn't a, it's a one-time thing in faith, but it's a perpetual thing in the Christian life. That I'm constantly turning my life from sin, turning life, my life from self, turning my life toward Christ. So they proclaimed repentance <clears throat> and they cast out demons, anointed the sick, and, and healed. So in this, they, they went and they did <clears throat> miraculous things. The things that Jesus was doing, they saw that, that he had given them authority and given them power to do the very things that he was doing. John 14, 12, later, Jesus will say this right before he goes to the cross. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you do the things, if you believe in me, you will do the things I once did and do even greater because I am going to the Father. They had a foretaste of doing the things that Jesus did, and they would then, later in life, do even greater than these, because he went to the Father, and Jesus was the one that was truly doing this through them. He'll actually rebuke them. We see in another gospel, he'll rebuke them when they come back kind of proud about what they did, and he said, who really did this? It was me that did this. Don't glory in anything that you've done, because any good that's come out of you is from me. So in short, what happens in this is the 12 experienced great power in bringing the gospel to an unbelieving world. It was a message of repentance, deliverance, and healing, just as if Christ were physically there in their presence. There was a foretaste of what the church would do through the centuries when it operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. The possibilities are endless because of the power that indwells us as believers. And so in this, this power that indwells us, Paul will pray. He prays three things in the book of Ephesians at the beginning. And he prays for the Ephesian believers. And he says, I would know, uh, <clears throat> the first thing he prays is, oh, that you would know the, 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 the hope that you have been called to. And really what he's saying is, oh, that you would know the security that you have in your Lord. That Jesus came, he died for you, you are completely secure in you. If you could grab onto this, it would change everything. 
The second thing he prays, he says, oh, that you would know the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Meaning that God, when we read that, we think that it says God got rich. Um, I got rich when I got God. But really what it's saying is God got rich when he got you. It sounds almost heretical. It sounds kind of crazy. But what it's saying is that how much, how valuable are each of us to God? We're as valuable as the price that was paid for us. What was the price that was paid for you? His son, Jesus. How valuable are you to God? You're as valuable as his son. The most precious thing he had, he sacrificed to redeem you and me. We are of extreme value to God. And so he says that you'd be secure, right? He, he says, oh, that you'd be secure, that you'd understand how valuable you are to your God. And the third thing he prays is what this text is talking about. He says, oh, that you'd know the power directed toward those who believe. There is a divine power that is directed toward those who will believe. Not saying this like big universal church or not directed toward a pastor with a special anointing or a missionary or whatever. Directed toward those believe. If you have believed, there is a power that is directed toward you to be lived out, to be experienced in the day-to-day of life. And there is a capability inside of us that is the same capability of our Savior when he walked on this planet. And what it says is even greater because he is still doing works. He is not dead. He is alive and he is moving in great ways in this world. And it's saying that his power now in us is working through us until he brings all things back together one day. And so in this, we see that as he sends them out, that he gave them the provision, he gave them the message, the proclamation they needed and the power they needed to complete it. And so hasn't he us We have been given provision, we have been given a message, and we have been given a power that is not ours to complete anything and everything that he asks of us. So what are the possibilities? The possibilities are endless. So Jesus has modeled the way. Jesus has not experienced anything or done anything that he is not asking of us. He has modeled the way. And we have been enabled to act by him, giving us his spirit when we turn in repentance and faith to live for him and his purposes. He has given us, he's enabled us to act, given us all we need. So maybe the question today is, have you caught his vision? Is your life about you? Or is it about his eternal purposes? That if you continue to live your life on the path you are right now, when you meet him face to face, would he look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or would he look at you and say, I didn't ask you to learn about it. I asked you to do it. And you barely did any of it. You sat around praying and asking and discussing and memorizing. By the way, all those things are super valuable. But you didn't do anything. You sat in chairs and you listened to messages. And you talked about your preferences. He's asking for more of us. Now, I believe in, a, in this room, and I know as I look around the room, a lot of people in this room. That's what happens when you're somewhere for four years. You kind of know some people. And I know there's a lot of people that actually have caught a vision like this in their life. They believe that God has given them everything they need. There's a lot of people in this room that truly and genuinely believe in the message of their own redemption and the message God has given for us to proclaim and are very, very faithful to it. 
And I know that there's a lot of people in this room believe that there's a power that has been directed toward them and they see it happen every day in their life and they are astonished at what God is using them to do and through them. But I believe as a church, might we lean in further into the Lord? Might we as individuals lean in further and ask ourselves deeper questions about who is this about? Might we ask ourselves deeper questions about am I engaged in this great eternal mission Am I engaged in my own personal mission in my life? And might we engage more and more in his eternal purposes? So if you will, let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you have given us everything we need to do everything you've asked. Lord, we we see how you you, amongst unbelief, were faithful. Lord, in your own hometown, how you were persistent. How you modeled to us that even in the midst of rejection, in the midst of unbelief, in the, in the midst of, of at times feeling like we don't even have enough to make it, of having faith and trusting that your provision is enough, that your mission is worth it. This life is short and eternity is long. Lord, help us to begin to let loose of the things of this world and grab on tighter to you. Lord, help us to, to stop being directed by ourselves and allow our greater love and our greater desire for you to drive us more and more and more. Lord, soften our hearts, bring tears back to our eyes to remember what you have done to redeem us and what you're doing to redeem us and transform us. Help us never to be so arrogant that we move past you, Jesus, and we go to deeper things. But help us to press into the depths of the gospel, the depths of the cross, the depths of of, of who you are and what you have done. And might it motivate us, move us to live our lives abandoned for your purposes and your glory and your fame and your name. Here local and to the very ends of this earth. Lord, you are worthy of all of our lives. So this morning, or renew us, refresh us, restore us, that we might be faithful amongst unbelief wherever we find it. And this I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And as you stand, I'm gonna invite you again this morning, as always, to the altars and to come and kneel and pray for whatever God may be saying to you. But I believe that one of the resounding things, if you don't hear anything else this morning, is that God wants you, that God loves you, and he desires for you to be not only redeemed, but used for him and his great purposes in this world. And he is worth it, and he deserves it. And may we, as we sing these songs, as we sing this song, as we come and kneel, consecrate our hearts more and more to him.